This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. in trouble, tries to get rid of it, and that's a fumbled football, and the Panthers seem to be on it. Quarterback, the foul. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, one of many Pepper's highlights. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight could be tonight for Pep. Could be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he is one of the many things we want to talk to our next guest about. We want to catch up with him, not talk to him in a while, uh, but he's the perfect guy to talk to right now. We can talk about Pep. He's, he's got plenty of stories and knowledge playing with him on the D-line here in Carolina. His old buddy and teammate Dan Morgan's now the GM here. And oh, by the way, it's the 20th anniversary of their Super Bowl team, the, 20, uh, the 2003 Carolina Panthers. will reminisce about that run and that Super Bowl with a man who is still in the league coaching the D-line down there in Jacksonville. One of, the, one of the great quotes and great guys to ever play sports in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Brenson Buckner. Buck, what's going on, man? How you been? I've been good. What's going on, fellas? Nothing much, man. We got so much to talk to you about. We're very excited about this. First thing I want to ask you is, do you think Pep will go in first ballot tonight? And uh, tell me, I'm pretty sure you believe he should be first ballot, right? Yes, I think he should be first ballot. I think he he will. You know, I, I hope so, man. You look at his his line of work, you know, what he did to the game. I always look at Hall of Famers as guys who, can revolutionize a position or or change the way a position is played, and he became one of the the five star mutants, you know, in <laughs> the NFL. You know, just just the way he plays. So, you know, prayerfully, you know, I'm thinking he goes in tonight. And it'll it'll be great if he does because he deserves it. Buck, we were talking before you came on. We can sit here and analyze the accolades for athletes, and that that stuff does matter on the resume, Pro Bowls, and All Decade teams. Certainly, that's a factor. But when we're analyzing Hall of Famers at that level, isn't part of an all-time great being what those that played with and against them have to say about him? Like you, Jake, Gross, the coaches that coached against him, all the players of his era, he's one of those guys. They've all got a pep story, don't they? They're all in awe of what they witnessed. Oh, yes, it is. You know, it's one of those things when you, when you saw it and you knew and you played with them or you played against them, you know you were witnessing something you hadn't seen before and that – the game was the evolution. The evolution of the game was going to change because of this this guy, and it speaks volume. Because uh, I'm actually in Vegas right now and and talking to some Hall of Fame guys who already had gold jackets about Pep last night, and every one of them, uh, I would be surprised if he's not a first ballot. And, you know, that's coming from guys who already have jackets, and I'm not talking about recent guys. I'm talking about the male blunts of the world. You know, those type guys. He's got the respect of guys who laid the foundation for what the game is now, along with the people who played with him or played against him. Buck, we get Buck hang with the Steel Curtain guys. That's got to mean a lot, huh? 
<laughs> but Buck, always a stealer. Even though he's down coaching at Jacksonville now, maybe we shouldn't say it too loud. Buck found um, his way to his guys. Though. He did. He did. Buck, what was the like freakiest athletic thing you saw him do on the field? Like practice, game, whatever. What sticks out the most? Well, I know freakiest one from a game is just uh, I never get his rookie year, you know, and Pep was still just learning how to play the position, you know, because he was just an athlete, you yeah. know, at North yeah. Carolina. You know, everybody know playing basketball and football and not really having a chance to master either one of them. And we're playing Detroit, and I remember all week thousand Terry had been telling, you know, Pep and uh, Mike Turpin were telling him, look, these guys, these running backs are going to cut you, Pep. They're not going to try to block you straight up. You got to use your hands, use your hands. And he runs in the fullback Schlesinger, I believe it. I'm talking about cuts. I mean, it's like the perfect cut. Yeah. This man does a somersault and land back on his feet and get the sack. <laughs> and, and I never get just sitting there just looking at like, did I just see what I just saw? You know what I mean? It, 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 it was phenomenal. And But then in practice, he would do stuff. You know, I felt so sorry for Jordan Gross, who was a rookie from Utah. Great offensive line. You know, one, one of my favorite teammates. And it would be sometime in pass rush where he wouldn't even lay a hand on Pep. And it's one-on-one. Like, he's at least supposed to. And it was just so natural. And Pep wouldn't even break a sweat doing it. But you just looking at him like, man, this is not this is not supposed to be a guy this big, that strong, that fast. But that agility he had, man. And we were just always in, 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 in awe. And then you could go there and watch him play basketball. And, you know, he's running up and down the court. Two-hand dunking, 360, you know. It was just freaking stuff. I played with Jerry Rice and T.O. I played with, I think I counted last night, I played with 15 Hall of Famers that Pep ends up going in. And I can say without a doubt, he was probably the most freakiest one I I played with. Branson, we had um, Jake DeLome on Monday, and we were talking about that 2003 team into the 2004 Super Bowl, about when did he kind of know, oh, this – this thing could be special. He referenced the week two game, the 12 9 win over the defending champion Buccaneers as being the tone setter. What is your memories of that game? Because that was a defensive effort for the ages by you guys. Uh, the, 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 my memory of that game is that that was when I realized I hated Warren Sapp. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we just, you know, we respected those guys because they were, you know, defending champions, but. You know, they try to treat us like little, little brothers. And, and just a week in practice, just the intensity. I think defense and offense might have got – we, we might have fought five or six times in practice that week because that's just how the intensity was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And nobody was off limit. Jake wasn't off limit, anybody. We was just going at each other's neck. But when we walked into that stadium, it was like us against the world. And we, we just said in our mind that one more, we're not losing this game. They were getting ready to raise their banner. And, and 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 all that and just uh, the the atmosphere of that game and we were just like if we want to get where we want to go these are the games we got to win and we got to win them the tough way you know what I mean we didn't we didn't think we was gonna go blow anybody out but our thing was anywhere anytime we're gonna ball our fists up and fight and 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 just looking at the guys and the way we just fought 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 back and forth because we had lost we had lost. Uh, two years before in a game like that at Carolina where it was just field goals with Randy Fazani playing quarterback. But we just know we had a different we had a different type mindset. Yeah. And, and just to see the way guys just laid it all on, on, on the grass and nobody, it was not one of those teams where, well, 
uh, defense we did good, offense we got to carry. It was just like it was a team effort, and uh, and that was that's when I knew that if we stepped on the field for sixty minutes and played the way we wanted to play, we were gonna come away with a victory. I remember Jenkins became uh, Chris Jenkins became a Kimo on that day. He blocked I think two two kicks. There was a third kick in there that everything was getting blocked that day. Yeah, everything because you know they could have won it. They could have won the game at the end of regulation because they scored. And I remember in that huddle, Chris, like, we blocking it. We got to block it. It's just our time. And, you know, we all just lined up, and we just had it in our mind. We do what we need to do on this field goal rest. We're going we're gonna to block this. We're going to block it. And he blocked it. And he became the Chris Jenkins that I had told the world that he was he was before the game. He was on his way to becoming one of the best defensive tackles in the game. It was just everybody just stood up on every level some point in that game, and we came away with a victory. But the thing about it, it was hot. It was overtime. But when we won that game, we was in the locker room. We felt like we could go play four more quarters. That's just the energy that, that, that we had as a team and the mindset that John Fox had put us put us in. If it's time on the clock and it's one blade of grass to go, we got a chance to win. And uh, that's you were the cardiac cats, man. How many did you win late that way? And you guys bullied the bully that day, man. Yeah, <laughs> it had to feel Chris good. Jenkins also not a fan of Warren Sapp. We found out years later. Oh, my God. He had the quote, Pap. Uh, Pap, what the hell am I talking about, Buck? He had, <laughs> man, I'm, a, I'm oh, still, He's a friend. I'm still dumb, Buck. He's a friend, Buck. man. I'm still dumb. Oh, you know that, Buck. Buck, um, uh, he had the quote uh, about Warren Sapp. You remember that? When he said his breast stinks, his soul yeah. stinks. <laughs> it was a classic freaking quote, man. Uh, but anyway, all right, Brenson Butker is with us. I got that straight. I got that straight, everybody. We're reminiscent about Julius Peppers, who could go in the Hall of Fame tonight. Also about that Super Bowl run, that Super Bowl 2023 Cardiac Cats team. 2003. Uh, what did I say? 2023. Buck knows that one, the Super Bowl team. Buck, I'm hitting all the high notes. Yeah, we didn't quite make the Super Bowl 2023 here, did we? All right, uh, Buck, <laughs> let's go to the Super Bowl game, man. So the defenses, we talked to Jake DeLome about this game the other day so y'all both defenses had the offenses on lock in the first half like dare i would say the first exciting thing to happen was the janet jackson wardrobe malfunction at halftime to a lot of america (laughs) but that's because your defenses were on top of it second half the offenses were going off why did that game change so dramatically what do you what do you remember about the way that game played out because it was odd in that way it was like two different halves two different games well, I, I know the first half, it was just like, you know, we was out there. And I would say I was exhausted. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh, my God, long season. We're, we're, we're playing hard. We go into halftime. And I just figured that that both teams had offensively we got to do. So I know we went to a no huddle and just let Jake wing it. Steve Smith was becoming the Steve Smith that we all know and love. Right now, Moussin was having a big game. We had Ricky Pro, you know, we had Wiggins, you know, and so we we got outside our norm, and I think it caught the, uh, it caught New England by surprise. You know what I mean? Like these guys are throwing the ball; they're not afraid to let Drake Jake drop back and and throw it all over the yard, um, and then it forced. Tom Brady them to to go in a different way, and I just think it's ebbs and flow. You see it in all the Super Bowls. These are playoff games now. Yeah. You know it's going to be a, either defensive first half or second half, or vice versa with the, with the offense. And it was just one of those things that we knew our season will come down to the last play. It had the whole season. It had come down to the end, and you know it, it, we didn't end up on the right uh, end of the. Uh, of, of the game, but but that's just the way a microcosm of how the season had, had went, and, and it was just 
everything coming together, offense and defense, and it goes down as a classic. It was a classic. It really was. It was. And a guy that had one of the most prolific performances in Super Bowl history that day was Dan Morgan. Your thoughts on Dan now as the GM of the Panthers, and and what traits do you think will make him succeed here that he had as a player? I just think, first of all, just congratulations to Dan. Dan's a football guy. You know what I mean? You just look at Dan, and he's a football guy. He loves the guy. You know, seeing him on the sideline before games in the executive role, he still has that little intensity, you know, in in his face and his voice. And I just think him just being a football peers is going to help him. I I think a lot of times, you know, we want to make – football, this, this science, and we forget about the pedigree of the players. Oh, I mean, he might not be this fast, he might not be this big, but can he play the game of football? And I think that's what Dan uh, values is going to be, just seeing guys who play football. Because when you look at that team, the teams we played with, we, we we had some freaks and Pep and Steve Smith and all that, but a lot of things, we just had great football players. Yeah. You know, guys who love to play the game of football might not be the biggest, strongest, or the fastest, but if you put them out there on, on that field, their football IQ and their pedigree of just playing the game, you know, supersedes anything else. And I think that's what Dan's going to bring. And Dan generally loves the Panthers. You know what I mean? He gave blood, sweat, and tears you know, to, to the team. Uh, career was cut short because of some untimely injuries, but he never wavered. And he got right into it. So I think he's going to be great because I think what Carolina needs is people that love the team, not love having a job but loves the city and loves the team, and, and, and it is going to resonate throughout the organization. All right, Buck, I think we've talked about this before, but uh, we have multiple requests to ask you this question, all right? So I've got to fulfill the request. Patriots beat you in that Super Bowl. I thought this is going to be the time that Buck was yelling at you during a break, but no, I guess not. Huh? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else, somebody <laughs> One did One of the great it. moments of my life, A honestly. texter did ask, does Buckner still want to kill Mac? <laughs> we good, right, Buck? <laughs> Yeah, we good. We good. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about guys, though, is Buck called me like we were yelling at each other. It yeah. was over Plexico Burst, of all things, oddly. Uh-huh. And Buck go, leaves the studio, you little B, and this and that and all this. And Buck came back in in two minutes, and we just started doing radio again. Like that's the thing about dudes. But I, I do like, remember they can scream at each I other and then just be normal. Mac did leave the studio though, Buck. He did. He did head out yeah. for a while. I thought, but no, Buck <laughs> left the studio. I left and walked around yeah. for a little yeah. bit. <laughs> were you cooling off? TV oh, time out, yeah. Is that what you were doing? Did you really yeah, want TV. TV? No, you know, it's, t- it's intense. You know, it's just like you you snap the ball, you try to kill the guy in front of you, then they blow the whistle. Now you got to go back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> Buck, were you tempted to line up and treat me like some sort of blocking sled in that moment? Yes. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I wouldn't be here today if you did that, Buck. Thank God. Uh, Thank God you walked around. Just the bone show, huh? Yeah. <laughs> bone, it would be all your glory right now. Or maybe it would be Bone and Buck, actually. That might have been the case. <laughs> Buck, all right. So anyway, I dig- we digress about that funny moment. But um, here's the question. You probably know it's coming. In that Super Bowl, do you believe the Patriots cheated? You know that story, Buck, that they had rented some sort of like one of those little apartments or condos or whatever and were spying? Like, what do you think about that story? Well, you know, you, you think about, it. you know, you know, when you're younger, when you're younger, and you're going through it, and you know, you right there a chance to to hold that trophy was the ultimate goal to play this game, and you hear about that, so your emotions run wild, and I think, but, but, but now, you know, I consider water uh, under the bridge because, you know, 
from all evidence and what people are saying, they're not the only one to do it, to ever do it, and probably not the only one that's still doing it right now. But, you know, at the time, it was like, I remember uh, John Fox putting in some defenses that we hadn't ran all, all year, some defenses like from the early 90s and the late 80s that, yeah. that had been effective uh, uh, versus that style offense, and they knew everything. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they 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 knew where we was coming. They knew where we was blitzing from. They 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 knew the coverage we, we was we was in. But then so I seen Tom Brady do it for twenty two years. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? But you know you 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 would think not. But as we find out now, that's probably just they were just better coaches than everybody. They was getting well prepared. And they was using everything in their possibility to get their team their team ready, including a pair of binoculars in a Charlotte condo across the street. They were using everything. I think that was more, but also too, yeah. I think we should take some of the blame because we had that mentality. Oh, are we going to Super Bowl? Nobody's going to do that. But you no, know, those apartments been there for years. Those condos been there for years, and we never thought like, oh, they got a straight. Somebody could have a straight line fight into our practice field. It was yeah. right. There were like it was perfect view, right? Like it's yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, well, all right. Buck is Buck has moved on. Buck has moved on, have, and I'm uh, trying have, to bring up the old wounds. Have you though moved on? No, I think they no, cheated no. the Panthers out of the Super Bowl. <laughs> I still hate them. All right. Anyway. <laughs> All right, Buck. Hey, we appreciate you. It's great catching up. You know we're so uh, proud of your career as a coach, man. You are truly one of our favorite coworkers here, one of our favorite athletes we've had here. So uh, we're big Buck fans. Uh, appreciate you joining us, man. Be good. All right. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. Let's transition to the Carolina Panthers, though, here, Wes, because we've been doing the position preview series. We went to the quarterback position, talked about Bryce Young. Then we went to the running backs yesterday. It's time now to discuss the wide receivers, which is going to be a huge talking point all offseason long. When we look back at what happened last year, I was way wrong on DJ Chark. Thought he was going to help. Didn't think he was going to be a pro bowler, but thought he was really going to help. And remember, they had that rapport in training camp, and then it just wasn't there once we hit the regular season. Bryce Young, DJ Chark, they couldn't hook up for anything. Adam Thielen, he showed out, and I was wrong on Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen, he was the guy that was the possession receiver, and the only one that you could depend on in the passing game. Only one that you could just rely on to produce in that aspect. Mingo, I think underwhelmed. It wasn't like the worst rookie season ever, but we certainly thought it was going to be better than what it was. What went so wrong last year when you look at it, Wes? 
Well, uh, for one, like I said, so you, you start with Thielen, and I thought when they brought him in, and I thought he was going to be the de facto number one, and he was, and his stats reflected that. Now, were you getting the dynamic play from him that you might have wanted from your number one? No, you did not. He proved to be one of the best slots in the NFL last year, and that was the extent uh, of his performance. I was never a huge fan of DJ Chalk, but walking like you, I, I thought we were going to get more out of him than what you did. So, uh, But that was a failure on their part. And so you had some games where he would appear, and you're like, okay, maybe he could start to wake up. And then you have games like Jacksonville where he drops three straight passes, and you're like, all right, well, this was a failure. Uh, Jonathan Mingo, you know, this is a huge year for him coming up. There's no question about it. You bring him in to be your future number one receiver. Maybe we're not having a conversation about trying to go out and find that mm -hmm. alpha dog receiver if Mingo has a better year or shows more promise than what he did. But for him, it was just like when you watched him play, there was nothing special about him. That was the thing. It was like when you watch, you see the college clips. He's catching with one hand on people, breaking tackles, looking like a baby T.O., D.K. Metcalf out here. Then he oh, gets yeah. to Carolina, and he looks very pedestrian after the catch, before the catch, during the catch, all of that. So uh, for the Panthers now, they just have to find playmakers for their quarterback and the receiving core. It just wasn't consistent enough when you go down the line with these guys. Terrace Marshall is official. I know as much as you, you know, hated to – you know, I know it hit you in the gut a little bit when you just really figured out that Terrence Marshall, you know, we this figured was the that end of the road, baby. Or this year, yeah. <laughs> that was the yeah, end of the road, was, baby. That was some realization for me. But, but uh, I think, you know, if tough. you want to look to some more, a few silver linings, and I think when you look at the depth of this group going over or going into next season, I think ISM is a guy that looks like he can help you. He doesn't look like he's a guy that'll hurt you. He looks like a guy that if you use him the right way, he can be a tool in this offense. We saw Strawn come through with some catches late in the season. It looks like he could have some potential, not necessarily to be a top two to three guy, but he could be a depth piece there. So I think they have a couple of depth pieces they can work with. I think they have a true uh, slot in Adam Thielen. It looks like he has a season or two left at playing at a high level. And then Mingo, the jury is out uh, with him. They got to go out and find that guy this offseason. That's all there is to it. They have to have that go-to guy for Bryce Young to be able to find, to be able to win those matchups one-on-one, catch those 50-50 balls, and everything that comes with that. The biggest surprise to me was DJ Chark just being a zero in the passing game. He had the wide-open, busted coverage touchdown against Seattle early on. It took a while, started to be featured a little bit more at the very end once Thomas Brown took over for the second time. And then I think it was against Green Bay when he really helped Bryce Young. And then it was the next game where he had three drops in a row, just could not connect to DJ Chark. And part of this is because Bryce Young wasn't throwing downfield because he didn't have enough time. I think Chark and maybe even Mingo were a couple of the guys that suffered the most from the offense just being so dysfunctional as a whole anyway. I think those guys really suffered, but they didn't help. Those guys weren't helping the offense become functional, even if I think they suffered from the lack of production and they just couldn't produce at all. So if we go to, all right, Adam Thielen, he was number one last year. Where should he fall on the pecking order next season, Wes? And how big of a contribution do you expect him to provide this team in 2024 
going into 2025. Oh, I think he's definitely going to continue to contribute. And I think that he can be your number two. I think he's a fine number two if you want to go with that in a slot. Because if you come out next season, let's just say everything goes well. Amingo starts to develop. Maybe not a stud, but he becomes more serviceable for them. Enough to where maybe you can start him as your second receiver. And you're fortunate enough to bring in a T. Higgins or Mike Evans. Then you have Adam Thielen sitting right there in that slot to take advantage of the middle of the field, be a pseudo-tight end for maybe the production you don't get over the middle of the football field with the tight ends. So I think Thielen is right there where he needs to be. He goes over 100 catches. He's proved that he's he's proven that he's dependable. He's proven that he's going to go out. You know, he had over 100 receptions, and people could say, you know, what they like as far as, oh, you know, they weren't throwing to anybody else. But 103 receptions is 103 receptions is 103 receptions. So I think that I expect him to be very much a big contributor in this passing game next season. You just need somebody more dynamic. But Adam Thielen was useful in this offense. Yeah, like no, yeah, no shade for Adam Thielen because who else could you depend on in this game? Like it was Adam Thielen or it was really nobody else. And if anybody else contributed, then it was a surprise. If Adam Thielen didn't contribute, then it was a surprise, certainly with the start that he got off to at the beginning of the year. So how are the Panthers going to address this problem? Here was Brian Bassarge joining the Kyle Bailey show about that very question and whether the Panthers can still get that number one guy at 33 overall. If T. Higgins, for some reason, the Bengals let him hit the market, I don't think they will. I think they're in franchise packing. But if he was somehow hit the market, they should back up the truck and just sign T. Higgins to be their number one receiver. How, with that being said, uh, if that is not the case, like I don't think it will be, they should look at somebody, and I think, uh, you know, going back to my mock draft today, I mocked him a Donnie Mitchell, the uh, wide receiver from Texas. I think he's a big-bodied guy with athletic upside, chance to be a number one wide receiver, great catch radius. I think he'd be a good target for Bryce Young because we've got to surround him with weapons. I'm not ready to give up on him just yet. What do you think about that idea? I know you would rather go offensive line, but if they can get somebody there at 33, one of the wide receivers, do you think that that would be something worth exploring, especially with the lack of depth they have at that position? Uh, If you have a game breaker, because this draft is looking like it's shaping up to be deep at the wide receiver position, if there's a guy you feel like can step in immediately and be a a very productive player, then yeah, I mean, you can go that route. You just, you got to get it right this time because that's what you did in this last draft. You picked Jonathan Mingo over some guys that we saw get picked in later rounds that look to be way more productive. I mean, a lot of people talk about C.J. Stroud and we see that Tank Dell stepped right in and was able to look like uh, he did in college, frankly, and give you that type of production. So the Panthers, as I said, we still don't know if they've missed there. And yeah, it is going to be interesting to see how the top of the free agent market for wide receivers is going to look because there's a big drop off really after the top three or four. I mean, you look at PFF's rankings, T Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., Mike Evans, uh, and then you start going to the Marquise Browns, which I think there's a there's a drop off. I mean, I've liked Hollywood a little bit, but to me, he's never yeah. played up to his, you know, his skill set, what it could be. And then you got the Calvin Ridley's and Darnell Moody's. And to me, those are guys that are D-level two receivers, not that number one guy. But it'll be intriguing to see if the guys at the top of the market end up reaching free agency. I mean, you would think that the Colts, especially with a rookie quarterback of their own, is going to try to do what they can to bring Michael Pittman back. Mike Evans, I mean, I I saw there was a clip that was making the rounds uh, for Baker Mayfield. He was on some show on NFL Network, and they had a hot mic on him, and he was saying how – 
you know, he was coming back to Tampa and he was going to be bringing back some pieces with him. And I would think that one of those pieces would be Mike Evans. So we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition. But if he hits the free agent market, then you got to think Carolina's got to be right up there in the mix to sign a guy like that as much as he's spoken highly of Dave Canales. Let's go to the text line. 980 says Michael Strawn may have more upside than TMJ. He says he's the Oracle. Okay. He's the Oracle. He got a 50% drop rate, though. Michael Strawn does? Yeah. I mean, how many targets did he have? Probably not very many. So hopefully, yeah, 50% drop rate would be terrible if it was on real volume. So maybe Michael Strawn does have a lot of yeah, upside. Yeah, I mean, this is true. I mean, he had three targets. Okay. So that's how do you even, how do you, still, how do you mean, even have a 50% drop rate with three <laughs> targets? Is that even possible? You only catch one. But uh, that's, that's what they had. That's one third. I get it. That'll but. be 66% drive. It's getting worse. Yeah. The more we explore this, it's getting worse. And I don't want to explore it any further. California Greg says, love Thielen. But if he isn't the third option at 34 years old, then we are done. Why? Maybe Why like, does he have to be the third? He caught 103 passes. People act like you could just walk out of bed and catch 103 passes in the NFL. with teams knowing you're the top passing option for a team? I do get where he's coming from a little bit. If he's third, I don't know if I'm going all caps, we're done. But I'd like for him to be, what, like two, maybe tied for the second option with another I guy? Could, I could I could live with that. But I think in a world that if you start to get at least a – if you feel good enough about Mingo to where he's a starter next year, and let's say, you, let's say you sign the T. Higgins or Mike Evans, you go Mike Evans, Jonathan Mingo, and Adam Thielen – then yeah, I, I think that's that's not bad. No, it's not. No, I I would gladly still take Thielen in the top three here. Seven oh four, we have some T Higgins text. Seven oh four says, why would you think T Higgins and Mike Evans would come here? Well, money's going to talk, so that's yep. one. How much money are you willing to give some of these guys? Because you could argue about where they're playing right now. T Higgins is in a great spot with Cincinnati. He's going to see a lot of balls thrown his way because Jamar Chase is on the opposite end, and you got to make sure you're covering that guy. And so T. Higgins, we've seen, be the beneficiary of that. But if T. Higgins is also expressing that he wants to get paid, and Cincinnati already has this many resources in Jamar Chase, they're paying Joe Burrow a lot. you got to fix the offensive line because you need the guy you invested a lot of money in to be healthy. T. Higgins is going to get franchise tagged, and then we'll see that get a little hairy, I would imagine. That's when Carolina swoops in. Come on home. <laughs> come on home, T. Higgins. That's why well, he would come. Is Clemson. Kind of. Yeah, because yeah, he's a Tennessee kid. But. Uh, well, yeah, it's still like South. Just come down South. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because we talked about that yesterday. And the only thing that I think throws a real monkey wrench into that T. Higgins deal is that the money Joe Burrow's making, it's a very team-friendly contract. We talked about that yesterday. For the next three seasons, that deal tops out at 27.25 for a franchise quarterback of Joe Burrow's stature. That's a steal. And then we know when the numbers get bigger that they'll just put it in a bonus and make it lower. But as far as his base salary that we discovered that, you know, salary cap is based on base salary, not your cap hit. That, that's a very team-friendly deal for Joe Burrow, and so I think that allows them the flexibility, and I think that's the way he wanted it as well. That's why he had it structured that way so that he can keep his guys there. Yeah, Todd from Denver says, is T. Higgins an actual number one, though? I actually think he is. I I was one of those people that was worried about separation from him, but he's a baller. 
I, you've I seen mean, him. he uses his body. Yeah. That, that's that's his separation. I mean, he can beat a lot of guys, but if he's playing against a corner that's really sticking to him, you still got to do a deal with that 6'4 body. And I believe he jumped at the combine, like, between 33 and oh, 35. Yeah. So, T can get up, man. Yeah, he, he's – especially when – even if you don't get separation, you still see that guy win as often as he does. I, I do wonder, I guess, a little bit about the coverage he sees without Jamar Chase because Jamar Chase is a top three wide receiver in the league. And so maybe that's a question worth asking. You're going to be seeing a lot more attention if Adam Thielen is the other best option on the squad compared to Jamar Chase. It's a big old downfall. No disrespect to Thielen. I'd be disrespecting a lot of wide receivers if I said, uh, you know, if, if I'm talking about Jamar Chase being the comparison. But that would be interesting to see there. Uh, I do want to go to one other soundbite from Brian Bassarge on the Kyle Bailey show. He gave a couple of good soundbites there. We mentioned Jonathan Mingo. We'd love to see him improve quite a bit going into next season. But we also have a wide receiver we still want to draft at 33 overall. Adonai Mitchell, I believe I pronounced that correctly, out of Texas. You know, you've seen some guys there. Lad McConkey, people like. I know you like that. That's my guy. I know it is. I know it is. Coming into this draft. He's going to be this year's Tank Dell. (laughs) Uh, Keon Coleman, who I also know is the exact opposite. Keon Coleman, you're not a big fan of him. Yeah, I don't think he'll be there, though. Um, I don't either, but he's falling because of athleticism. First round bust. Um, Xavier Leggett, though, out of South Carolina. Somebody that's interesting there, too. We certainly know him well because of him playing for the Gamecocks. But Basarge on the Kyle Bailey show said he might be a little worried that Leggett is too similar to what Mingo provides already. I love Xavier Leggett, and I love what he was able to do this year. But, man, it's hard not to get Mingo vibes just because of the one year of production. And that's all he had at South Carolina, right? He was there for five years. He had one year of production. So that's very, very similar profile to Jonathan Mingo coming out of Ole Miss. Um, I think he's a better player than Mingo is because he, he also offers a lot of special teams versatility. Now, that being said, I don't think that's who the Panthers should look at it with the 33rd pick. I do think receivers on the board, but I think they need to go with the upside number one-ish type receiver. I'm fascinated by the 33 overall selection at wide receiver because, one, even though it lines up well for the Panthers because this draft is considered to be very deep at offensive line and also very deep at wide receiver. So that lines up well for this team that doesn't have a first-round pick, except they do have the very next selection after the first round is done. But, Wes, we've seen wide receivers start to contribute so early. And we've seen it really all throughout the last 20 years, but – at this time, like the frequency on these guys contributing right away is so high. Now we're starting to get to, well, it used to just be the first rounders and maybe, maybe the second rounders were contributing. Now you're getting third round breakouts, fourth round breakouts. We got a fifth round breakout in Pukunakua this season who looks like an absolute stud. So do you just keep trying until you hit? Like you and I have had this discussion before. How the Panthers, it doesn't seem to matter who is in their front office. DJ Moore was the last real wide receiver that it felt like you got a lot of work from. Curtis Samuel, too. Like I, I like Curtis, but they haven't hit on their wide receivers lately. And yet it still doesn't make me shy to take a swing at that position, even if it is at 33 and there might be an offensive lineman on the board. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to three. Sit tight and stay locked because instant replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. 
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Unlike the vast majority of NBA trade deadlines in the past, your Charlotte Hornets, buddy, they got busy. They've been real busy today. Now, uh, Terry Rozier was traded, what, two weeks ago at this point. That's old news, but, you know, it's still part of the overall cycle. But on trade deadline day today, Mitch Kupchak put in some work, y'all. It started with the news this morning that Gordon Hayward, a guy that, you know, reports last week indicated would likely or would possibly be coming back next year, that they had interest in re-signing Gordon Hayward. Um, you know, even yesterday I told a listener, he's like, why can't we talk more about getting rid of Gordon Hayward than Miles Bridges? And I was like, I'd like to, but it doesn't seem like they're going to go in that direction. And then boom, this morning, Woj with a bomb that Gordon Hayward has been sent to Oklahoma City in exchange for, uh, at one time, Hornet killer Davis Bertans. Uh, I believe the actual pronunciation is Davis Bertans, but Davis, I've always called him Davis Bertans. It's a very Americanized way of saying it. I apologize. But uh, Davis Bertans and, and Trey Mann, who is a player now. Um, now, let me rephrase that. He, he's, I think, has got a chance still to be a player in a contributing role, um, likely and ideally as a backup point guard for this team. 23 years old, out of Florida, you know, kind of still finding his way in the NBA. This is a guy that I think you'd classify as sort of like a, a second draft you know, people around the NBA call it the second draft, the young player who, you know, gets a fresh start after a year or two and his first spot didn't work out so well. Uh, but Trey Mann coming over, and, and he's averaging eight points a game, 15, 17 minutes a game. But uh, this is a guy, if you're a Hornets fan looking for the backup point guard spot to be filled, this might be the guy. So, you know, not on top of that, uh, you get guard Vasily Micic and an unspecified draft compensation, uh, so far unspecified, to the Hornets in return. So... Pretty decent haul for Gordon Hayward, if you know we're being honest here. I know some folks are like, oh, I don't know who Vasily Milicic is, and I've never heard of this Davis Bertans guy. I've heard some of that. Like, Trey Mann can hoop a little bit. Davis Bertans is a 31-year-old career 40% three-point shooter, and he certainly lit up the Hornets on a couple of occasions in the past. So I'm not mad about Davis Bertans coming over, and I'm certainly not mad about Trey Mann coming over. And Micic might be a player too now. I, I don't... You know, we got to wait and see. But I thought the haul for Gordon Hayward, pretty good start to the day. Little did we know, though, there was, you know, even more to come. P.J. Washington in a trade that will forever be known as the uh, trade deadline homecoming deal. Uh, P.J. Washington is going back home to Dallas. He's a Dallas native, and he was traded to the Mavericks earlier today. That was something that that reporting has really started to pick up since the start of the week. Um, It's been rumors for some time now, but that reporting really started to pick up some steam early in the week and uh, started to crescendo yesterday. So P.J. Washington is on his way to Dallas to the Mavericks. And back coming to Charlotte are a couple of Queen City natives. How about this 33-year-old Seth Curry, who is seventh all-time in NBA three-point percentage. He slipped a bit, but, you know, seventh ain't bad in the history of the association. And Grant Williams, the Providence Day alum. So we got Seth Curry and Grant Williams, two Charlotte natives. Oh, and by the way, there's the, you know, small compensation of an 
uh, a lightly protected 2027 first round draft pick. Uh, I think it's pick the top two is the only protection on this pick. I, I, I the only thing I know to do today is give Mitch Kupchak one of these, man. I, that's I, smoke. Uh, welcome in. Good afternoon. I think Mitch Kupchak did good today, and that people should be praising Mitch Kupchak today. How, how are you feeling about what they've accomplished here on this Thursday? I think it's a very good sign, a sign that it's more of a retool than a rebuild in this situation. Look, the season's lost. We we know. We don't need to be told about it. But I think more than anything, the greatest thing that can come from this is the bench has some depth. Like that, Long-term, the bench has some depth. You guys got guys coming out. Potentially, that could be something. Let's say Trey Mann's your backup point guard of the future. Grant Williams is going to be a bench key bench player on a playoff team on most teams, but can also drop 20. He essentially is doesn't have the high points of P.J. Washington. The difference is he's more consistent and knows his role probably a little bit better. So I think that's a plot positive. And you got assets. You got future picks that we don't know what are going to play out to be, but now you got a shot to have a extra 2027 and extra 2028 first round pick coming from this deal. Yeah. So I, I don't see how this is a bad scenario right now where Mitch is likely setting up the new regime to be in a pretty solid spot, all things considered. And, you know, they can probably make another move or two this off season. Yeah. I'm with you. Seven Oh four, five, seven Oh 96, 10. Let me do this. Uh, phone lines officially open. We, uh, we did a boo-boo yesterday. We didn't open up the phone lines until like two hours into the show and we didn't even realize it. So I'm sorry. We were so excited to talk yesterday um, that we forgot to open up the phone lines, but they are officially open right now. Seven Oh four, five, seven Oh 96, 10. So PJ Washington traded away. Gordon Hayward traded away. Terry Rozier dealt away two weeks ago. Uh, this is the the blow up, the reset that a lot of folks were clamoring for, pining for last season, and it's happening now. That's to me and a lot of other folks here a very good thing. It's a great thing. I think it renews, you know, some hope, some optimism in people that have now seen two injury riddled seasons go by with not much reason to care, hope, or even, you know, buy a subscription to the Bally's app if you couldn't watch the team. And I, and I think that, you know, starts to change a bit today. And certainly with the emergence of Brandon Miller, it'd be nice to get LaMelo completely healthy and back out there on the floor. The season's lost, as Smoke just said. They're 10-39. and 39. They're 29 games under 500. they They're not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but a strong finish and a, a reordering of this roster around what you believe is the the young core getting that started right now is a very good thing. Uh, what it also appears to indicate is that as we discussed yesterday on the show, miles bridges, unless there's a sign and trade later this summer that, um, you know, is, is still possible, I guess today seems to indicate that miles bridges is sticking around y'all. And I realize for you know a lot of you, you you're celebrating that. Uh, you're happy about that. You think it's the right thing. As others indicated and, and expressed yesterday, they don't like it. They want him gone, mostly for off-the-court reasons. Mostly for off-the-court reasons. But uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, and I think anybody who covers, follows, watches, or you know pays attention to this team, what, today's moves seem to be a clear indicator that the Hornets have prioritized keeping Miles Bridges. Big one, Scott. Miles Bridges in Charlotte. This is a player who... Uh, you know, has, you know, came back this season, essentially out all of last season. Uh, but he has had back-to-back 40-point games. Charlotte had talked with a few teams about him. But I think Miles Bridges uh, is very, very likely going to be with uh, the Hornets past the trade deadline tomorrow. And then this is an organization that would like to re-sign him this summer.
There you go. They want to resign. Miles says he wants to stay. Miles, according Brian Windhorst, broke this news first earlier today. Um, and we're trying to get Brian back on, hopefully late next week at some point, to talk about all this. But he broke the news today that Miles Bridges is reportedly, or did reportedly make the decision to deny any trade. Said he would not approve any trade anywhere. Because if you'll recall, Miles Bridges in the one-year contract that he signed last offseason, or before this season, there was a no-trade clause in it. Right? And so... He has he informed the team that he didn't want to go anywhere. He wants to remain with the Charlotte Hornets for the rest of the season. And it seems to be an indicator that both sides feel that way, you know, mutually about his future here. And that will, I'm sure, continue to be a, a point of conversation. But I think that's what today clearly indicates. Speaking of that, by the way, uh, last night, Spence just told me, KB, my Hornets are not 29 games under 500. We are 30 games under 500. Put some respect on our name. I apologize. They are not 10 and 20. They're 10 and 39 any longer. They are 10 and 40. So my bad. <laughs> as of last night, they lost another one. Uh, again, as you heard Adrian Wojnarowski say, if you didn't watch the game, Miles Bridges with 45 points in the loss last night. Yes, 45 points in the loss last night. Back-to-back 40-point games for Miles Bridges. And Steve Clifford, after the game, talked about Miles' impact on this team. I'm going to be honest with you. His effort every night he plays is remarkable. Listen, this guy who's always played minutes, he's playing 38, 39 minutes every night. Okay, he rests only, he plays the whole first, the whole third. He gets like three and a half minutes in the fourth and the second. That's it. And yet, rarely, he never asks to come out, okay? And he plays every dribble. And there just aren't many guys who could do what he's doing. All right, so that was Steve last night talking about Miles. He is playing a lot of minutes. He is playing especially hard on the offensive end. Defensively, you know, it's not been great. As a matter of fact, on that note, let's just go ahead and play it because I said this yesterday. I think we all see it as it pertains to Miles. The offense has been amazing the last couple of times out. Defensively, left some things to be desired. But that is true of pretty much this entire team. And Steve, in addition to saying that about Miles Bridges last night, also got very honest about his own, as he put it, failure coaching this team. Must be honest. I mean, it's why I was brought here. And to this point, I have failed pretty miserably is we don't care enough about defense all the time. We're better than we were in some ways. But, you can, you know, like we're a, what do they say, we're a sometimes team. Sometimes we run back, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we care about guarding the ball, sometimes we don't. When the ball starts going in the basket, a lot of times we don't care about defense anymore. You'll never win. You might win games. You might have a decent year here and there. You'll never win. You'll never win a playoff series. You probably wouldn't win a playoff game. Those are the teams that get to the end of the year, and if they're talented enough to get to a playoff series, guess what? They get their asses kicked. You've got to defend in the NBA. There's never been a team. Never. That's been good and had a playoff run that wasn't good defensively. There you go. That was Steve Clifford saying, I have failed miserably to get this team to play defense. That was straight from Steve's mouth. I failed miserably to get this team to care about defense. He didn't just say to get them to play defense. He said he's he said he's failed miserably to get them to care about defense. This is going to sound like kind of a strange question, but I have to ask it. Is it his job to get them to care about defense? Or is it to teach them how to play defense? Like, is, is that an important distinction? Because in my mind, it kind of is. Shouldn't you already care about playing defense if you get to the NBA? 
you've tuned into Instant Replay. When the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.